Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back with you here. Uh, thank you for those who were praying, for those of us who were at the uh, Mennonite Brethren uh, Conference, the study conference a week ago, and also uh, annual general meeting, and I was involved in lots of stuff there. Appreciate your prayers for that, and it was a really good time to connect with our larger MB family across the country. Also, last weekend, I had the privilege of being at Broadway, at a Broadway congregation, and if you were here, you know that Brian was here, so we don't get to do that very often where we do a swap, but it was really good to be uh, with our congregation at Broadway last, last weekend. I also want to just update you briefly uh, on our North site uh, progress. Um, we had a candidate who we uh, actually offered the invitation to, and actually this Sunday was possibly going to be candidating weekend, uh, and he would have been actually speaking here, but he had to decline because of some family uh, issues that came up just recently and that just didn't uh, leave him and his wife able to, to make the move and to come here, which is really unfortunate. And so just ask you to continue to pray with us as we just say, okay, Lord, now what? Where do we go next? And so we're just continuing to wait on God in, in terms of where we go from here. Uh, but I just wanted to update you uh, in that regard. So in the next two weeks, as we continue in this uh, series called Faithful Presence, and we just have a couple more weeks uh, of this, uh, both Kevin and I, me this Sunday and Kevin next Sunday, are going to be focused on the same topic called being with the least of these. The discipline of being with the least of these uh, is part of our call to be God's faithful presence and to see God's faithful presence among us as well. Our primary text will be from Matthew 25, and I encourage you to turn there. I'll be looking at that text uh, right away, and we'll each be exploring uh, different aspects of that text and, and others as well as we, as we look at this topic. So to begin with, I want to just start by reading two scripture texts. First of all, actually, Luke chapter 4, and then I'm going to get into Matthew 25, and you might look at them as kind of bookend texts, bookends to actually Jesus' public ministry. And so in Luke chapter 4, if you uh, turn there, this is right after Jesus has been in the desert. He has been uh, tempted by the devil, and that whole story that you can read that precedes the text that we're going to read. And so Jesus has just spent 40 days preparing for his public ministry and life. And so this is the beginning point of that. And then it says in verse 14 of Luke 4 and following, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So here we have Jesus beginning his ministry here on earth in his adult years now and he's had this opportunity to Point back to the prophet Isaiah and what was said of this prophetic word of his coming. And he says, this is now being fulfilled in your midst. And he embarks now on a holistic ministry that is about uh, physical needs of people and spiritual needs of people. And he is declaring this truth at the start of his public ministry. And then if you turn over to Matthew chapter 25, we 
look at our primary text for today that in many ways is on the other end of his public ministry where he is preparing his disciples for his uh, departure and he is speaking to them about end times and if you read the parables that precede the text we're going to look at, he speaks about many things about being ready, being prepared, of anticipation of, of Christ's return. And then we get to this text in Matthew 25, 31 to 46, where he says this. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one from another as, shepherd, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to me to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to eat? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on the left, he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when, when did this happen? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, for, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So in many ways, these two texts, when you hold them together in Luke 4 and Matthew 25, it's sort of like Jesus is first of all saying at the beginning of his ministry, he's saying, here's what I've been sent to do. And now in Matthew 25, he's kind of reminding them and he's saying, here's what's really important for you to remember. And so who are the least of these? We see in that text that the nations are gathered before Jesus, that there's this judgment, and then Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, as it says, and it clearly articulates the difference between them and the related judgment for each of them. But as you look at the text, it it really clearly says who the least of these are. It says those who are hungry and needing something to eat, those who are thirsty needing something to drink, strangers needing a place to stay, people needing clothing for their bodies, the sick or in prison needing people to visit. And so we see very clearly who Jesus is articulating about who the least of these are. We can think of the things that we see on our television or on our uh, screens of of the news that is happening and even to, to see the Rohingya Muslims that are being chased out of Burma and are in Bangladesh right now and fleeing for their lives and you think of the least of these, those people in desperate need. We see it in other places around the world. We've seen it over the last years in Syria. We see it in refugee camps all over the world. And we see it right here in our own city. And we experience it in our own lives in different ways. The least of these are people in need. 
People in need that are articulated here in the ways that Jesus describes. And you know, as I think about this text, I've heard many sermons explaining this text in many ways about the nations, the sheep, the goats, the judgment. But what's really clear in this text to me is that people in need matter to Jesus. What's also really clear to me is that both spiritual needs and physical needs matter to Jesus. It reveals our hearts, how we are present with people in need in this way, with the least of these. And it matters to Jesus how we, as his followers, are with the least of these. And it talks about the very clear judgment that follows. And it's interesting that this passage comes right after the parable that precedes it of the gold and the resources that are given to the people there. And if you want to go back and read that parable, it really sets up. In fact, the parables preceding this text uh, are part of this whole grouping of texts that teach about these end times. But the parable of the gold is this lesson on stewardship, this challenge of how we use our wealth and resources and how that matters. We don't need to feel guilty about our wealth, but we do need to feel a sense of responsibility and stewardship because we're accountable. And this text clearly teaches that we are accountable. You know, the importance of how we care for the poor and how we look after the least of these is seen throughout all of Scripture. And as I was reflecting on this again this week, I was going through texts in different parts of Scripture, and let me just touch on a few. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 10 and 11, it says uh, right there in that Exodus passage, For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. And then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. And do the same with your vineyard and your olive groves. If you read through Leviticus, there are laws in Leviticus too and, and instructions to those who farm. And it says how don't, don't harvest everything on the edges. Leave some of the crop there so that those who are poor can come along and they can actually benefit from your crop as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7, it says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. It's saying have a generous hand, have an open hand towards your fellow Israelites. And to recognize those that are in need, the least of these among you, even the people of God among you. Another text that immediately comes to mind to me as well is in Isaiah 58. And it's a text that has been significant for us as a church. And I remember many years ago as we had a time of discernment and this text God really brought to the light for us. It actually began, it was one of the beginning points of our partnership with the bridge ministry here in our city. And if you actually look in our office on the side wall in our office, this, this reference is right there from that era a number of years ago. And in Isaiah 58, it's where it's this challenge of what does true fasting look like? And it says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen in verse 6, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then it goes on to say, then actually your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And so that text in Isaiah teaches so clearly about what does true fasting look like? What does true worship look like? And it includes being present with the least of these. As you go into the New Testament, 
You see, Jesus articulates this as well. We've read a couple of passages. There are many others also. The Apostle Paul also speaks of this, of how do we care for the poor? How do we care for the least of these among us? Um, He talks in a number of his letters to the churches where he's actually collecting an offering for the people in Jerusalem where there had been a famine. And so he's preparing them to give this offering that he can bring back to the people there. We also know that if you look at in Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul is being commissioned by the apostles and he's being sent out as a missionary to the Gentile people. And he says about that commissioning, he says, all that they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I'd been very eager to do all along. I could give you countless texts. I could swamp you with texts in Scripture that just speak about the poor and the least of these and those who God has called us to be a part of their lives. It's throughout all of God's story. And sometimes in the church, we, we make this false dichotomy between physical needs and spiritual needs. We might call it the social gospel and the salvation gospel. And we have these debates about, well, what is it that we are called to do? Is it called to do this or to do that? And typically, we kind of swing the pendulum from one side to the other. And even denominations do that as well, too. But you cannot read Scripture without seeing that these two things are always held together. That it's not about one or the other, it's about both of them being held in tension, that we are called to both of these aspects of what the true gospel really is. Which is why, in, if you look at our four discipleship steps that we talk about, and that we try to teach on and live out of, the last one holds those two intentions very clearly, where it says that we are called to serve others and proclaim the gospel. And those two things are both there in that one discipleship step that we are to do those things, those things that often are held in tension and we do them together all the time. Jesus did. He cared for the physical needs of people and he also was so attentive to the spiritual needs that they may not even see in themselves as well. But how do we do this? How do we be a faithful presence among the least of these that Jesus talks about? How do we address poverty and all its related and complicated issues? I struggle with this along with each one of you. I feel the tension. I feel the inconsistencies in my own life. I'm sure every one of us go through this at different times. When I see panhandlers and people on the street in our own city right here in Saskatoon or even in other cities, I struggle with how to respond. I've given them money. I've not given them money. I've bought gift certificates. I've bought them a sandwich. I've invited them for a meal with me. I've offered to go with them to buy groceries. I've walked by without making eye contact. I've crossed the street to avoid them. And I've also sat down with them and asked them their name and a bit of their story. In some ways, I feel like I've done all kinds of different responses and nothing seems particularly adequate. Some some responses I feel a little bit better about than others. But one thing that I have learned over the years is that we miss the mark when we make people into projects. We don't usually realize that. We don't intentionally do that. It happens subtly and it happens slowly. But we lose sight of people. When we lose sight of people and we just sort of see them as projects. I don't think that we are caring for the least of these. Remember years ago, when I first started here at the church and I was the young adults pastor... Our young adults leadership team, and some of them are, are here this morning, we were engaged in an area of the city called McNabb Park that some of you may be familiar with. It's over by the airport. It's where all those new hotels are going up right now. But that used to be this community of housing, of subsidized housing for all kinds of people in that part of the city. So we had this idea that we were going to go and build a skating rink there, and we did. We actually 
uh, built a large skating rink, and there was a skating ministry, and the kids could go skate there, and we did that for quite a number of years. And we developed a website, I remember, uh, that was part of that as well. We got involved in the community association as much as we could. And then I remember one day, uh, the woman who headed up the community association, and I think her name was Debbie, and she helped me to see our website through the eyes of somebody who lives in McNabb Park. And it was so sobering for me and so humbling to me about how we make people as projects. She was very gracious and very kind, but it helped me to see the condescending tone and the unintentionality of making people into projects that was reflected on the website. We changed it completely. But it marked me. It reminded me. How do we see people? We've learned to do this better in our Panama partnership as a church. We don't do it perfectly, but we do it better. And that's why our partnership in Panama is all about relationship. It's about being family. It's not about projects. It's not about those kinds of things. And over the 12 plus years that our church has been involved in Panama, we get to know them as family and we celebrate and share life together, the highs and the lows, and it's beautiful. We, grow, we go there to serve and grow in faith among friends, following their lead and simply supporting their ministry. And they've said many times, and I remember hearing from Abdulio and Alina, they say, you know, we don't want your money, we want to be family. Marianne was just there this, last, uh, this fall just a few weeks ago, and they said the very same things again. We're family. We're just family. It's not about projects. It's about being family together. We have benefited and learned every bit as much or more in this relationship as anything we've ever offered. And as we think about the least of these, what we have to recognize is that there is poverty in every one of us. We all have a measure of poverty, a measure of brokenness that we need to see. We need to see that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we need a Savior, that we need to be redeemed And that we all have a brokenness in some form that we have to recognize. And once we do, we are far better prepared to be with the least of these wherever we go. There's a great book that I would highly commend to you, and many of you are familiar with it. It's called When Helping Hurts. And the subtitle is, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself, by Fickert, Cobert, and Perkins. And in this book, they articulate Four different primary relationships that are broken relationships where we actually have poverty in relationships that we see that come out of the fall, actually, the Genesis 3 account. All three of these, or sorry, all four of these relationships are there in place and healthy and thriving before the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And then after the sinfulness of man and after the brokenness that is there, all of these relationships are impacted. From Genesis 3 forward. A relationship with God, the primary one, as all the others flow out of this vertical relationship. That is so important. The relationship with self and how we're made in God's image and we have inherent dignity and worth. And that we are image bearers bearers of the king. And then with the fall, we see that there is shame and guilt and brokenness of identity and relationship with self. And then relationship with others, how we're created to be in community and in healthy relationships with others to make... We're made to know and encourage and to love one another. And so often we have poverty of relationships with other people. And then lastly, the relationship with the rest of creation. How right in the creation story we're we're seeing how man was made to be in relationship with creation and there is brokenness in that as well. And in this book it reminds us that we are holistic beings, that we are complex and wonderfully made and that we have holistic relationships in all of these areas and that 
when we have brokenness of poverty in these relationships and we recognize that, it actually causes us to look differently at the brokenness in other people because we come as fellow people needing the grace of God as well. And it changes us. We understand the mutuality in our brokenness and poverty and we no longer then see people as projects, but we see how God loves them and God loves us and has died for them and for us as well. The World Bank is a a premier public institution that has been trying to alleviate poverty in low-income countries for many decades. In the 1990s, they tried a different approach to this complex challenge, and they actually asked more than 60,000 people living in poverty in 60 different countries to simply define what is poverty. And they asked for definitions of that. They actually published a three-volume series of books called Voices of the Poor. Here's a couple of quotes that come from that from different countries. First of all, from Moldova. The quote was this, For a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We're cripples. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. In Latvia, We cannot afford to invite anyone to our house, and we feel uncomfortable visiting others without bringing a present. The lack of contact leaves one depressed, creates a constant feeling of unhappiness and a sense of low self-esteem. From Uganda, when one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there is famine in her house, no clothing and no progress in her family. What was interesting about this study, what they found was that while poor people do mention having a lack of material things, they tend to describe their condition far more in terms of psychological and social terms than North American audiences do. Poor people typically talk in terms of shame, inferiority, powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, and voicelessness. Whereas North American audiences, when people are asked the same question, they tend to emphasize a lack of material things such as food, money, clean water, medicine, housing. And so at the core of being with the least of these is relationship. But relationships are hard. Relationships take time. Relationships can lead us to disappointment, to being cynical when things don't go the way that we think. When people disappoint us, it leads to frustration. And sometimes we want to give up. You know, many years ago when we began as a church our partnership with the bridge here in the core neighborhoods of our city, I decided at the beginning of that that I needed to get to understand and know this ministry, and so I decided to volunteer there for one year. Every Tuesday, I would go there for one year just to mainly learn about the ministry and understand what it was about and get to know some of the people there. And it taught me so much. Some days I served soup. Some days I washed dishes. Some days I mopped floors. Some days I cleaned up puke. But every day I talked to people and I tried to hear their stories. I remember meeting Cecil, and some of you know him, godly First Nations man who taught me about the brokenness of his people, but he taught me about an incredible love for Jesus that he had. I remember meeting a young man whose name I can't remember, who just got off drugs because of his daughter. He had a new baby daughter, and he was so excited to live for her and to come clean for her, and he had such joy as he talked about her. And I learned all kinds of things excuse me, all kinds of things there, but I also still wondered, what real difference am I making? Is this more about me or am I actually helping them? So after about a year of that, I thought, well, how else 
can I leverage my position, my influence in another way? And so from 2009 to 2014, for about five years, I served in a leadership group in a group called the Saskatoon Poverty Reduction Partnership. Started by Dr. Corey Newdorf, that many of you would know, a Christian uh, who's a part of our city here, chief medical health officer in our health region. And it was a, a great initiative that actually brought together all different sectors of our city from the health region to the city of Saskatoon, to the University of Saskatchewan, the United Way, Food Bank, First Nations, Métis Groups, Faith Community. So there was a group of us, about 10 or 12 of us in this leadership group that met for five years and tried to work on a variety of things. And I, I remember committing at the beginning of that to withhold judgment about whether we were making progress or not. And that was a, a good sort of counsel to myself because I found that every year I had to kind of recommit to the same thing, withhold judgment if we're making progress because it felt like sometimes you're just walking in deep mud. And it's so hard to make any progress. We made some progress, but it was slow, and it was difficult work. We had to remind ourselves as a group not to make this political. This wasn't about the left or the right or anything like that. It was about reducing poverty. How do we do that? There was a number of initiatives that came out of that were, that were quite remarkable. There's a Housing First initiative that... Many of you might be familiar with, which I think has tremendous opportunity and has had tremendous success already. The province developed a poverty reduction strategy that was announced by the Wall government a couple of years ago that came out of some of the initiatives of that group. And so there were some things that were really helpful. But at the same time, I also struggled with my role of trying to engage the churches, and I felt like I failed in many ways of not getting the churches involved in the ways that I would have liked not even being involved myself or within our church in the ways that I would like. I say all this just to simply say it's hard and it's challenging and it's difficult to get involved in different ways. And I still struggle today and I'm asking God, God, what's my next step? How do I get involved in the next season of my life? What are you calling me to? And I guess that's all I would say for each one of us is just to ask God and say, God, how are you calling us to be with the least of these? What is it that you need me to see and to learn from? What is it that you're wanting to teach me? In that book, When Helping Hurts, they also articulate these three different approaches that I think are helpful and important for us to understand about relief, rehabilitation, and development. And to understand what it is that we're actually involved with as an individual or as a church. At times, what people need is they need relief. When you look at the Rohingya Muslim refugees, they need the very basics of food and clothing and shelter. When you have communities that are evacuated because of forest fires, they need relief. They need immediate needs that are right there in front of them to reduce the suffering that are from a natural or a man-made crisis. Or is it that we're involved in rehabilitation? Rehabilitation begins as soon as the bleeding stops. It seeks to restore people and their communities to the positive elements of their pre-crisis conditions. So sometimes we're involved in rehabilitation work. Or is it that we're involved in development? And this is a process of ongoing change that moves all the people involved, both the helpers and the helped, closer to being in right relationship with God, self and others and the rest of creation. Development is not done to people or even for people, but development is always done with people. That's been our goal and our aim as we work in Panama is always to develop and do work that is with the people, in whatever thing that we do, as relationship is the key aspect of this work. 
So in conclusion, let me leave you with these few reflections from my own personal journey. And I think sometimes it's helpful for us to talk about the things that have worked in some way and the things where we felt that we have failed. And I have all of those in my resume. But how do we be a faithful presence to the least of these? And as I've been working through this material this week, these are some of the things that come to mind for me. First of all, we need to recognize our privilege lenses. For so many of us, we grow up in an area where we are privileged in ways that we don't even understand. Just last week, I had sewer problems at my house. And so I had plumbers in, and I was taking care of it, and we didn't have water for a little bit, and it was this crisis. But then I was thinking afterwards, but I can afford to phone a plumber and actually get somebody to come and fix it. What if my furnace stops and I actually can't afford to phone anybody to come and fix my furnace in the middle of winter? And sometimes I've heard people say, and I I think I've heard it out of my mouth, where we'll say, well, you know, you made your bed, so lie in it. You've made choices, so, you know, now live with the consequences. And we might think that if we don't even say it about people who might be in the least of these. But we need to be cautious with that because we need to be really careful of understanding the privileged lenses that some of us come from. Secondly, we need to see people as friends, not as projects. I love that in the story in Matthew where Jesus is talking to those who were affirmed and who he was blessing and saying, good for you, way to go, you did this. And they're going, well, when, when did we do this? When did we actually give you water, or give you clothes? They didn't even recognize it because they were just being with friends. They were just helping people. They were just living out their faith. They didn't see people as projects. They just kind of lived out the calling that God has given them to help people. And when we don't even recognize people as the least of these, we truly are embracing what God has called us to. Thirdly, that we would listen, learn, and ask good questions to truly understand. So often we think we understand. But when we actually listen to people's stories, it changes us, changes our understanding. To understand the four areas of poverty and the relationships that are broken in our own lives and in the lives of others. To understand whether we're doing relief work, rehabilitation work, or development work because we would approach each of those somewhat differently. To realize that how we treat the least of these is how we actually treat Jesus. Jesus says, when you did to the least of these, you did it to me. When you did not do to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And then lastly, I just put try, fail, persevere, try again, and don't give up. The call to this is not easy. The call to this challenges us. It challenges our worldviews. It challenges our comfort. It challenges our convenience. But it is a call we cannot shrug off. Jesus continually was with the least of these in his public ministry. Jesus continuously was helping people with their physical needs and their spiritual needs, doing them together hand in hand, never separating the two, but addressing them both the same way. God invites us to be his faithful presence to the least of these in this world. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text, these texts that that challenge us, that challenge me to, to reflect again at every stage of life, and as we go through different seasons, Lord, that we would have the courage and the vulnerability and the honesty to say, Lord, what do you want to teach me right now in this season? How do you want me to use the resources and influence and abilities that I have right now for your kingdom purposes in this way?
Lord, how are you calling me as an individual to be with the least of these, to be your faithful presence in the lives of others? And God, how are you calling us as a church to engage in these things for your glory and your kingdom's sake? Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful. Lord, forgive us when we have been way too apathetic and distracted by things that don't matter. And Lord, we just confess our comforts. We confess our, our privileged lenses. And we pray that you would help us to see differently. And we pray that you would help us to walk with bold humility into this unique calling that you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.